following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Imagination, inspiration, intuition. So we're continuing our course on the path of meditation as taught by Samael and Vior and the great masters of the White Lodge. And specifically today in the theme of our present course, as well as having covered and spoken about Sufism in depth, We're going to elaborate on a teaching given by the Master Samael in his book, Endocrinology and Criminology, as well as Tarot and Kabbalah, but as well in conjunction with the teachings of the Sufis, the Muslim initiates, particularly since I hope to convey and we wish to emphasize that this teaching is more than just from one man, but was given by different masters in different periods of time. So the very same teachings that Samael and Vior gave was given by the Sufis. Except that Samael and Vior's commentary is explicit. Whereas many of the teachings of the Muslim masters were very cryptic and did not they did not uh, provide an exegesis on the symbolism of their teaching, the allegory. So The reason why we study these three stages, imagination, inspiration, intuition, is to really enter into the path of initiation itself. Initiation is established by working with these three stages, these three forms of knowledge. And if we wish to really understand scripture, teachings of a religious nature, we need to really understand these three stages. Because the path of imagination inspiration, intuition, helps us to really unlock many mysteries contained within the writings of the different masters, particularly the Quran, which as a sacred book of initiation is really a text of Kabbalah and alchemy. And we're going to explain how meditation unfolds as a result of developing the capacity to perceive as well as to interpret our experiences and to really 
come to face to face with our being without any mediation. So we need to really examine our mind and to understand what type of knowledge we need to develop if we want to understand, have it, first off, have experience, but moreover, be able to interpret the experience and to understand its connection to our physical life, as we're going to explain. So Samael and Vior explains in his writings that a real occultist is an individual who has awakened within the internal planes. So we study meditation and practice meditation and these three stages of knowledge in order to really investigate. So if we wish to really investigate the mysteries of life and death, we need to fully understand these stages. And as I'm going to elaborate, it has, there isn't a plateau of knowledge that one progresses stage by stage, but it's a very dynamic, integral principle relating to the expansion and experience of our consciousness. Likewise, by studying this form of knowledge, we can read any book and understand the meaning of any scripture, such as in the Quran. So on the, in this first graphic, we have an image of uh, uh, Arabic calligraphy, which is, says al-nur, which means the light. And precisely when developing imagination, inspiration, intuition, we seek to develop light inside the light of our cognizance, our being. And as uh, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, taught in a surat al-Nur, which is uh, the sewer of the light, he explains in a symbolic manner, precisely imagination, inspiration, intuition. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. The parable of his light is a niche within, wherein is a lamp. The lamp, or we could say the innermost, our inner spirit, our being, Atman, Chesed, and Kabbalah, is in a glass, or known as Budi, the divine soul, the spiritual soul. The glass, as it were, a glittering star, lit from a blessed olive tree, which is really the sexual creative power of divinity, the third logos, neither eastern nor western, whose oil almost lights up, Though no fire, meaning no passionate, negative, fornicating fire crystallized within our body should touch it or should not touch it. Light upon light. Or as the book of Genesis teaches, Yehi Aor by Yehi Aor. Let there be light and there was light. So what is this light? It's precisely the light of imagination, the capacity to develop perception. And our being is really the, the height of omniscience, the capacity to experience the multidimensionality of the heavens and the earth, the superior worlds and the physical plane. So imagination is, as we explained previously, the capacity to perceive images, clairvoyance, clairvoyance, clear vision, which is a technical term given in French. And so the Quran teaches us that we need to develop this imagination so that we can really know Allah. Because it says in this text, Allah guides to his light whomever he wishes, meaning when we meditate and when we know how to travel out of our body to interpret the great symbols of nature that he teaches. Because Allah 
draws parables, allegories, symbols, or we can say knowledge of an inspirational type pertaining to interpretation of symbols for all mankind. And Allah has knowledge, gnosis of all things. So what is this gnosis? It is intuition. Intuition, we say, is the capacity to know without having to think, to rationalize. We simply experience the nature of divinity. We experience such as through God from our being. And we don't need to think, rationalize. And in this surah, this, this excerpt is really synthesized, this entire teaching that Master Samael gave in a very beautiful way. And we're going to elaborate precisely from the writings of Samael and Beor in Tarot and Kabbalah, and well, uh, endocrinology and criminology, in order to explain the symbolism. But first off, we need to have light to imagine, to perceive images. And then comes the experience of symbolism, parables, allegories, such as the Surat al-Nur teaches and likewise, to be drawn to Allah, to experience divinity, is to really comprehend the messages that come from our being in the world of intuition, which is the superior dimensions, the, the seven heavens mentioned in the Quran. And so, it speaks in synthesis of this uh, teaching. So we know... The path of imagination, inspiration, intuition. We can read any scripture, sit to meditate, concentrate, and experience the great symbolism of that teaching. And so, to really emphasize that this teaching is universal, we're going to explain how it ties into the Quran, which is a very uh, much an ostracized and uh, closed book, but a beautiful teaching of the Kabbalah, as we were explaining. So, every scripture has a literal and a symbolic meaning. And we seek to study the scriptures in order to understand the symbolism contained within it so that when we are traveling out of our body or in the internal planes, we know how to interpret what we experience. Because we imagine, we perceive the imagery in the superior worlds. We feel inspired by the presence of those images, those symbols. And we learn to interpret without the interference of our ego. And then intuition is the cognizance, the knowing we immediately know what that symbol means. And it is a cognition born from divinity. And the Quran really teaches this very beautifully, as we'll explain. But just to emphasize how this teaching is really a symbolic book, we have a teaching by Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi, who a uh, great Sufi poet, who is very beloved by practitioners of all religions. He teaches the following about the Quran and how it ties into... Imagination, inspiration, intuition. Ibn Murki or Ibn Mukri reads the Quran correctly. That is, he reads the form of the Quran correctly, but he hasn't a clue as to the meaning. The proof of this is lies in the fact that when he does come across a meaning, he rejects it. He reads it without insight, blindly. So what is this? We need to have insight, imagination, to really have the experience of what the symbols in the book teach. So he is like a man who holds a sable, which is a type of fur from a, a marten, as a type of animal in the Middle East. So he holds a type of sable in his hand. If offered a better sable, he rejects it. We realize, therefore, that he does not know the sable, meaning he does not know the teaching in that. Someone has told him that 
what he has is sable, and so he holds on to it in blind imitation. It is like children playing with walnuts. If offered walnut oil or walnut kernels, they will reject them because for them a walnut is something that rolls and makes noise, and those other things do not roll or make noises. God's treasure houses are many, and God's knowledge is vast. Meaning his intuitive knowledge, the knowledge of the, the superior laws of the cosmos, Kabbalah, mathematics. If, one man, if a man reads one Quran knowledgeably, why should he reject any other Quran? So there are many Qurans. We have the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Torah, the Zohar, the Tantras, the Sutras of Buddhism, the, yogas of, uh, the yoga teachings of Hinduism. And we have the writings of Samael and Vior, which is the Quran. But we need to know the real symbolic meaning behind it. And the path to understanding symbolism is precisely through study and through experience. To have insight, clairvoyance, awakened in our meditation and out of the body so that we know what the, the scriptures teach us fully. And Rumi really beautifully teaches that. There are many Qurans and Unfortunately, many Muslims read their scripture literally and they reject everything else. They are killed by the dead letter. But as some island viewer explains, we need to vivify the spirit of the letter that kills. So we need to read the spirit in the scripture and not the dead letter that kills so many souls, letting it literally in, 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 a, in a dogmatic manner. So again, the Quran teaches... Uh, how we need to interpret our experiences symbolically. How we need to really be scientific in our analysis and holistic. Meaning that when we study, we study integrally all teachings, all scriptures. And understand it from a synthetic manner. Because when we look at... Uh, any, any book, any teaching, really we're reading the intuitive and inspired knowledge of any master that is expressing within that uh, bodhisattva particularly. And the important thing is that uh, in order to understand what the symbolism really means, we need to really be meditators every day and to learn to be traveling out of our body for as it says in Al-Imran, uh, about the symbolic nature of any scripture, that a symbolism we need to interpret through experience. It is he who has sent down to you the book, meaning the Quran. Parts of it are definitive verses, meaning literal teachings, which are the mother of the book, while others are metaphorical, allegorical, symbolic, Kabbalistic, that need to be interpreted through experience. As for those in whose heart is deviance, they pursue what is metaphorical, allegorical, symbolic, or Kabbalistic in it, courting temptation and, and uh, courting its interpretation. As we know, inspired knowledge is the path of uh, interpreting its symbols, as we will elaborate and explain. But no one knows its interpretation except Allah. And those f firmly grounded in knowledge, they say we believe in it. All of it is from our Lord. And none takes admonition, no one will know its meanings, except those who possess understanding. And what is this understanding? Really, uh, it is not enough, and I really emphasize the need for all of us to practice 
more diligently and to really apply what we study in order that uh, this teaching doesn't remain in the intellect solely. But in order for that symbolism to be of use, we need to develop the capacity to imagine, to develop insight, to develop understanding. Understanding in Kabbalah relates to Bina, the Holy Spirit, to be working with the creative power of God in our body, in our mind. So uh, we really need to uh, become, as uh, Sam Eilenver explains in uh, one of his books, we need to become highly scientific masters of, this, of uh, the path of meditation, meaning to study and to practice. So symbolism is really quite uh, enigmatic and useless for us if we don't really experience the meaning of it when we practice. Otherwise, uh, if we don't develop the capacity to imagine, to perceive, to experience, we cannot subsequently enter into the meaning of any symbol, which is inspired knowledge, and therefore develop intuition as to its meaning. So what is this we need to really develop? And the Quran teaches this uh, exceptionally well. Those who have no knowledge, marifa in Arabic, or gnosis, direct experience, they say, why is the, what does not Allah, or better said, we can say Christ, the Buddha inside, speak to us, or come to us as sign? So said those who were before them, Words similar to what they say. Alike is there are their hearts. We certainly have made signs clear for a people who have certainty. And the Arabic is yukinun, uh, or the plural for yakin, which is certainty. And we're going to explain what does it mean to have certainty when we meditate. And this is precisely what we develop through these three stages. Certainty of what we experience. Because one thing is to imagine, to have that perception in when we meditate or when we're in the astral plane. And then to develop certainty from having received a symbol that pertains to how to live our physical life in a more profound manner. Likewise, there is more certainty when we unite with God in which the soul is unified with the being. That's another form of certainty that's very profound and pertains to intuitive knowledge. And so... Uh, God Most High has said, and that are signs for those who read the signs. This says in a Sufi scripture, Al-Risala, which we are quoting. By those who read the signs means for those who can see the inward state of things or those who have insight. So as we were explaining previously, insight is imagination, clairvoyance. There's no difference. To perceive spiritually. If we want to know what the books of Samael and Vir are teaching us or what the Quran teaches us or what the Bhagavad Gita teaches, we need to have insight. We need to develop the capacity to perceive imagination. Otherwise, we, are, we uh, can't interpret. And so when discussing these, uh, these three paths, we talk about three forms of certainty, and we mentioned this previously on the lecture on spiritual insight. And this is a very simple dynamic to understand and practically. In this image, we have... Uh, a uh, Muslim master writing on, uh, I believe, Angel Gabriel and uh, a host of Elohim who are manifest in the superior worlds. So the fact that this initiate is writing on the, the back of Gabriel really emphasizes that he's writing on the Gibur Ra'el, 
the rune gibur, which is the swastika, the sexual power in motion. The swastika, a Nordic symbol that was misappropriated in a, uh, unfortunately in 1939 and later by the Germans. But the symbol of writing on Gabriel is the precisely writing on that energy to enter the superior worlds. That's how we grow the wings of inspiration and insight to really fly into that superior dimension, as Nietzsche teaches in his book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. How is it that I escaped from nausea, he said? Did not my nausea grow for me uh, wings of the spirit and water-divining powers? So those waters of sex is what's going to illuminate our mind and our, clarify our imagination so that we can develop certainty about what we study, about what we practice. And this is how we really develop very rigorous faith that's unbreakable. And even if the whole world were to condemn us and persecute us, we would not change our attitude or our conviction. It doesn't matter what anyone says. We know the truth. So there are three forms of certainty that the Sufis teach. Ilm al-yakin. Yakin means certainty. Al is the, the indefinite article the. So ilm al-yakin is the knowledge of certainty, sometimes translated as the science of certainty. And this pertains to receiving intellectual knowledge. Knowledge from books, scriptures, lectures, uh, uh, teachings of any type. And we develop a type of certainty that helps us to really practice more effectively. And this is why lectures and uh, books are helpful. Because by understanding the structures of spirituality and the, the path of initiation itself we can really verify how it connects to religion. And from an intellectual basis, we have a form of certainty, but it's not as profound as when we have the experience of what religion teaches. But there's a form of knowledge that when we read, we verify things from our experience that sit well and really uh, help us to inspire us to practice more effectively. Ayn al-Yakin is the eye of certainty which means uh, ayin in Hebrew and, and uh, Arabic is eye or eyes. And so this is when we actually see for, our, from our, for ourselves and experience what religion teaches. Meaning we awaken imagination, clairvoyance. We, we're in meditation, we have an Anabai experience, we, we have a jinn experience, placing our body in the fourth dimension and we have faith from what we've seen from our spiritual eyes. Then lastly, we have Haq al-Yakin, which is the truth of certainty. Meaning, this is a type of experience in which one is consumed by the being. And one, once the soul is fully united with the innermost or beyond and experiences life in its true reality. So, uh, I believe uh, there's a Sufi master by the name Ibn Arabi, I believe. Or it might have been uh, Hujwari who explained that these three forms of uh, certainty are compared to three things. The knowledge of certainty is like hearing about fire, learning about the properties of lighting a stove or a fire, specifically. Ayn al-Yakin is seeing the fire. And then Haq al-Yakin is being burned by the fire. So what is that fire? It's our inner, inner God, our being. Our innermost is a flame. Like uh, the flame from which that light upon light 
that Surat al-Nur teaches in the Quran, as we cited at the beginning. Really, the highest form of certainty that we can have in our experience is of, is of an intuitive type, meaning we've passed beyond this physical plane, and really the soul, our soul has been absorbed by our innermost, or even beyond to uh, the spirit, uh, beyond the spirit to Christ, or even in the Ain Sof and Kabbalah, the height, the star that is in the void of our being, in the absolute. So that's really the the ultimate certainty we can have, which the the yogis refer to as uh, nirvikalpa samadhi, the highest samadhi, in which you are not you anymore. You are the being, in which there is only God knowing himself through, the, through you, the soul. No ego present. That is what it means to be burned by fire. And uh, you read the Sufi teachings of Rumi, or even the writings of Shivananda, and he really beautifully explains how one needs to be absorbed by Atman, the truth, sat, and so this highest form of certainty is taught by Al-Hassan Al-Nuri. He teaches that certainty is contemplation. And we explained previously what this term means in Arabic, which is uh, Mushahida. And this is where we get the word Shahida, to witness, or Shahid, or a witness. Really, a, a true witness of divinity is one who has been absorbed by the being and the soul and experienced God at that level. So that's a... Haq al-Yakin, the truth of certainty. And Mushahida can also refer to uh, meditation itself, to witness. And a real Muslim or real Gnostic is one who's witnessed divinity and is working to experience that and to really integrate that fully. So this type of certainty is light, cognizance, awakening our perception, our imagination. And you have a, there's a teaching by Hujwari uh, from his Revelation of the Mystery, Kashif al-Mashub. He teaches the following uh, anecdote about uh, different teachings of the Sufi masters about the nature of the light of certainty and what this entails for us. It is related that Abu Hassan Muhammad ibn Ismail Qayyir al-Nashaj said in his place of meeting, God hath expanded the breasts of the pious with the light of certainty, and had opened the eyes of the possessors of certainty with the light of the verities of faith. And he's going to explain what do we need to develop that light inside. He means piety. Our clairvoyance is pure as we maintain our purity of mind and heart. When we really work on our ego every day diligently to eliminate defects. Because that's what clouds our perception and obscures our sight. Certainty is indispensable to the pious whose hearts are expanded with the light of certainty. And those who have certainty cannot do without the verities of faith, inasmuch as their intellectual vision consists in the light of faith. So this translation is speaking about how we really have faith based on our capacity of perception. Faith is really knowing for ourselves from experience what is true. And this can contradict everything that people tell us and what science tells us in a dogmatic manner. But really... uh, Certainty is what expands our heart. It's what inspires us, gives us inspirational knowledge. Because, uh, as it says many times in the Quran, have, uh, uh, Muhammad, Allah speaking through Muhammad, the being speaking through Muhammad, said, Have we not expanded thy breast, expanded your heart? Meaning, given you a heart that's enriched with faith from having known divinity, even, uh, even when there's great tribulation and suffering. 
Accordingly, where faith is, cert- is certainty is there, and where certainty is piety is there, for they go hand in hand with each other. So we cannot have faith or certainty if we are not pious. doesn't mean that we become uh, ascetics or adopt a pious attitude, but piety is really death of the ego in a full manner, eliminating pride, fear, jealousy, hatred, gluttony, lust, hatred, etc. So real faith or certainty is to witness the unity of divinity. And the Muslims really speak very uh, diligently about uh, the need to witness uh, the divine, the unity of the being, which in, in Muslim doctrine is known as Tawheed. And this is the same teaching as uh, Vedanta in uh, Hinduism. The Advaita Vedanta is given by Shankaracharya. Same teaching as the Muslims. So again, my emphasis in this quote is that it really express if we want to develop insight, imagination, we need to become sanctified in our heart so that light can expand really fully inside. This is from Al-Risala by Al-Kushari. Al-Jalajili Al-Basri said, For testimony of unity, Tawheed, to be enforced, faith is prerequisite. For whoever has no faith cannot testify to the unity. For faith to be enforced, the divine law is prerequisite. For whoever does not hold to the divine law, meaning the scriptures, the, really the teachings of Tantra, the writings of Samael and Mior, the, the Quran, really one who has, does not hold to the divine law has no faith and cannot testify to the unity. For the divine law to be enforced, refined conduct is prerequisite. For whoever has not refined his conduct, meaning in self-observation, meditation, and real discipline of mind, moment by moment, cannot hold to the divine law, has no faith, and cannot testify to the unity. So really this means, do not fornicate, whether in body, speech, or mind. Don't speak evil, hatred. Don't calumnize our neighbor. Don't speak sarcasm. Don't act upon psychological elements of violence, even if it's in our speech and not physically with one's hands. Nor should we be pessimistic or morbid, but really develop a real faith is to be pious, to work in the factor of death, eliminating defects. That's really the best way we develop certainty and experience of the divine. So really to emphasize this point, I emphasize, uh, again, this quote we've mentioned previously many times by Kushari. It's probably one of the most important excerpts from this scripture. In order to really understand how to develop imagination, inspiration, intuition, how to enter the path of initiation itself. And so the Sufis give these, term, uh, these three terms that I just mentioned different names in Arabic. And the translations are slightly different. Excuse me, but you'll see by uh, examining what the, the, scripture, the Sufi scripture teaches, it emphasizes the same teaching. So I'm going to explain this in the Muslim way. Al-Jurari said that whoever does not establish awe of duty in vigilance, meaning muraqaba or awareness, which is sometimes translated as uh, meditation, in his relationship to God, 
will not arrive at disclosure of the unseen or contemplation, mushahida, of the divine. So what is disclosure of the unseen? It means unveiling. The beginning is imagination to perceive images, vigilance, to be in vigil. Vigil means to not sleep. And likewise, mukashafa, unveiling, is when we are unveiling the mysteries for ourselves. When we experience the symbolism that is taught within the, the different scriptures in meditation or out of the body, that's inspired knowledge, to be inspired by symbols, because we're unveiling the veil of Isis, which traps our understanding. And then likewise, Mushahida is really the world of witnessing, to have intuitive experience. The world of intuition is beyond thought, feeling, will, in which we are the being. That is contemplation or witnessing the divine. So how do we get to that point? We need to establish awe of duty. And it's really essential to understand what awe of duty is. We have to feel reverence for the tradition we study and the practices we fulfill, more importantly, because it is that respect of the teaching and the practice that we really feel the impetus and the drive to really fulfill what this teaching is, is giving for us. And to have that reverence for the fact that these, these practices are going to transform our mind and give us insight to divinity that is veiled from humanity. So all of duty is to really feel that, even f- that fear, not an egotistical fear, but pechad in, in Hebrew, which in the Gnostic pentagram, you see the, on the, one of the legs of the pentagram is pechad, which means fear or reverence. And the Bible teaches us the beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord, pechad. So awe is the same thing, meaning to guard, as you see in the fact that it's written on the thigh, to guard the sexual power. That is really how we establish awe of duty, to really transmute every day and to work with the sexual power. Otherwise, there is no vigilance, there's no insight, because if one fornicates, there's no duty, because it is the duty of the being and the, our duty as practitioners to establish that reverence and our discipline and to fulfill it. Because if we don't fulfill it, then God will demand it of us. So, uh, again, vigilance is next. It's, we have to really make it our duty to establish esoteric discipline and to uh, be in vigil, That's to not sleep psychologically, but to really work with uh, what in Arabic is called muhasaba, which is inner accounting. And some island VR explains we need to make an inner account of who we are. Make an account of our defects. What do we have in excess? What do we have? In, what, do we, what, do we, what is deficient in us? That is part of awe of duty. So in this image, we have a Sufi in meditation who is experiencing the divine, represented by the sun, and the Arabic calligraphy for the word Allah. So the sun is the solar logos, the Christ. So Allah in Arabic is the same, teach, uh, same divinity. And so I'm going to parallel in these next slides uh, what Samael Anvior explains in his books as well as a parallel with the Sufi teaching to show you really that this teaching is really uh, profound and was known by many masters. But by the grace of uh, divinity, Samael Anvior explained in a very didactic manner in a very clear manner, this teaching. 
So the fact that this Sufi is communicating with this being, that is intuition, intuitive knowledge. To be beyond the presence of the mind and to really converse with our God inside. So Samael Mbiro explains, imagination, inspiration, and intuition are obligatory steps of the initiation. And what is initiation? To initiate, to begin, to become. We need to become what we are not in order that he who already is can become what he is. Our being is, uh, needs to become inside of us, to be, for the being to shine within us, as, as Sufi is emphasizing in this graphic. Whosoever has raised these three steps of direct knowledge has reached supraconsciousness. And we explain that supraconsciousness is to perceive without the ego, but to perceive as God. So a particular experience you may have is if you meditate on the chakra, sahasrara, on the crown, and learn to project yourself from that chakra, you can experience your star, your Lord, the Ainsof. And it's in that uh, height in which one is beyond the consciousness. It is supra-consciousness, beyond ego. So the Master Samael explains that the world of imaginative knowledge is a world of symbolic images. Inspiration grants us the power of interpreting symbols. In the world of intuition, we see the great cosmic theater and we are the spectators. We attend the great drama of life. But what's interesting about this quote is that... Uh, one is part of this, the great movement of life in the superior worlds. One is a witness, a shahid, or a, uh, really pertaining to the shahidah in Islam, the declaration of faith. I believe in God, God is God, and Muhammad is his prophet. One is not only a spectator, but also one is, if one is united with the being, one is the witness and the witnessed, and the act of witnessing. So one is the being, one is observing, the being is knowing himself through the soul, and one is that very precise cognition itself. And so the Sufis teach the same thing. Awareness, mukhadara, is the beginning, then follows disclosure, unveiling, mukashafa, and then contemplation, mushakida. Awareness, imagination, disclosure, unveiling is inspiration, and then contemplation is witnessing, intuition. And we're going to elaborate on each stage in synthesis. So uh, it's important to remember that uh, the reason why awareness in, in, in Sufi doctrine pertains to imagination is because when we are aware, we uh, are experiencing many uh, signs and proofs in meditation, such as lights, experiences, Sounds, color, sensations of a psychic type. And therefore, we are becoming aware of our true nature. We are developing imagination. Likewise, unveiling is what it means to be inspired, as, I was, as we were explaining. Because when you really experience a symbol that you know comes from your being, that's tearing part of the veil. And it's inspiration to know that directly. And so, intuition is when we fully uh, know the meaning of that symbol. But uh, we have in this image uh, Arabic calligraphy of a chakra. 
And so uh, this image really demonstrates the, the nature of uh, the energetic channels that we need to develop in order to activate our imagination. Particularly the chakra ajna in the third eye or the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. So this chakra between our eyes is what helps us to become clairvoyant within the internal planes. Correct. The pituitary gland is, uh, pertains to this chakra ajna, and the pineal gland is related to the crown. But uh, really, to develop imagination, we develop the faculty to uh, develop uh, the chakra ajna. And so, as I was explaining, if we want to learn to develop insight in our mind, in meditation, out of the body, we can work with this chakra specifically, as we were doing with the mantra inri. So as Samael Anvior explains and elaborates that uh, only those who have awakened in the superior worlds have conscious imagination. Those who are learning to astral travel. And really a true occultist is one who is, through meditation, is learning to investigate in the astral plane or even beyond that. And so that pertains to the development of the heart chakra, but also ajna. And so for the wise to imagine is to see. Imagination is the translucence of the soul. Whosoever awakens consciousness has reached imaginative knowledge. This one moves in the world of symbolic images. The symbols that the student saw while he was dreaming, he now sees without dreaming. As before, he was seeing them with a sleeping consciousness. And this is really important to emphasize because... We usually we go to sleep at night. Eight hours pass. We don't remember anything, and we wake up, and we have vague memories about having spoken with someone or a certain event that occurred that we thought was real but really was subjective. So we are constantly experiencing life in the internal planes, but we have no awareness of it, and so this is what we really have to change. And it's enough to have a, a moment of cognition in the astral plane, to, in, walking in the city of Chicago or finding oneself in another country in the astral plane to really shock us and, sh- and show us that how asleep we are because we are perceiving life all the time in the astral plane, doing uh, our normal chores and activities but without understanding that where we are. So therefore, we need to develop awareness in that state, which is in Arabic, muhadara, uh, as uh, the Sufis teach. And it comes from the Arabic hudur, which means presence. So that presence is our being. And that is how we learn to become cognizant to perceive images in the internal worlds. So now he moves himself among them with an awakened consciousness, these symbols, even when his physical body is profoundly asleep. When the student reaches imaginative knowledge, he sees the symbols, but he does not understand them. He comprehends that all of nature is a living scripture that he does not know. And likewise, any book we read, when we're developing imagination, we, we understand that the insight given by the prophets is something that we, we sense, we feel its power, but we don't understand it fully. That's why we need to meditate on a, whatever we read, to take a line or a section of a text, a chapter, and really meditate on the concept so that it can help us to understand what the scripture is teaching us. But likewise, all of nature is a scripture full of images and symbols which have uh, great meaning for us. Like in the Quran, uh, if you have the experience of seeing a date palm in the astral plane, 
or uh, rain particularly, it pertains to the, the science of transmutation, because it's the, how the Quran teaches the, the nature of alchemy in that scripture. So these scriptures and symbols have a meaning that we need to really analyze. The student needs to elevate himself to inspire knowledge in order to interpret the sacred symbols of great nature. So, uh, as I was explaining, awareness, as the Sufis teach, is the same doctrine that Samael and Vior gave. Because when we are aware of our being, we can start to open the sense, the internal senses. We need to really become aware of our hudur, our presence, moment by moment. So, awareness from the Arabic root word of hudur, presence, is presence of heart which may be produced by the coming together of innumerable small proofs of what is real. So what does it mean, innumerable small proofs? Meaning we're sitting to meditate, and then suddenly a distant landscape emerges in our psyche, a situation with a family member or friend, a conversation, a sound, a symbol, an experience, uh, a smell even, a um, sound or a sensation of a psychic nature. These are small proofs of what is real, meaning that imaginative knowledge is beginning to open. We're beginning to gain insight to the internal planes. And and Samayan Vior explains that this is a very good step. If we're meditating or we're starting to see images, hear sounds, have these experiences psychically, it means that we're developing our imaginative knowledge. So, however, it is still behind the veil. Even if the heart is present with the overwhelming power of the practice of remembering God, so, it's still, so we have images and experiences, but they're fleeting. They appear, they disappear. Suddenly, usually what happens at the beginning with us is that we sense an image or a sound or an experience, and before we even realize what happened, we're back in our chair and meditating. And usually what happens is that we've left our body at that point. We were drowsy enough in which we were able to enter into the internal worlds. So that's why drowsiness is essential to develop imaginative knowledge. Because when we meditate, we need that faculty of the superior worlds active. However, we need to tear the veil. And to do that, we need to relearn how to develop uh, the faculty of imagination competently. So uh, this image, we have, uh, again, Arabic calligraphy. And that's the heart, the image or the shows the beating of a heart and the word Allah written on it, chakra anahatta. And if we want to develop insight, really we have to develop, uh, in conjunction with our practice, a profound study of the scriptures and to really be scientific in what we study. Because that is how we make sense of what we experience. It's important that we uh, also learn to balance our psychological states, to develop piety, sanctification, benediction, we could say, by purifying our mind and heart. For logical thought and exact concept is needed for the purpose of developing the internal senses absolutely perfectly. Every incoherence, every lack of logical and moral equilibrium obstructs and damages the evolution and progress of the chakras, Discs or lotus flowers of the astral body. So what does it mean, every incoherence? I mean, really any time we speak in a harmful way where we're not connected with our being or speaking, joking around and speaking gibberish, this verb creates. 
speech creates energetically in our psyche. And so that really that type of incoherence in the mind where we're not really connected with our heart, our being, as represented in this image of the calligraphy. We uh, destroy the chakras, especially anger is highly destructive. And the Buddha said that when someone wishes to harm someone else with, out of their anger, it's like carrying a, picking up a hot coal and trying to throw it at that person in order to harm them. Meanwhile, it's the person who grabs it that gets burned. So anger develops a poison called imperil that Samael explains in Igneous Rose. It's a poison in the, in the chakras that blocks the senses from developing. So really any lack of logic of a superior type or moral equilibrium is, causes damage. He's not talking about here uh, logic in the sense of sitting, sitting down and studying necessarily Immanuel Kant's theories of uh, aesthetics or Kantian philosophy and that type of logic. But he's really talking about a, the superior di- uh, logic of the being. Cognizant, the knowledge of uh, dianoia, revision of beliefs, awakened consciousness, intellectual synthesis, logic of uh, the superior understanding of the being without needing to intellectualize and so, uh, also, we have to really understand the structure of meditation itself to have logic and structure in our meditation practices because it's necessary to understand the dynamic involved and what, the steps we need to practice in order to really develop that. Otherwise, we're sailing blind. That's why we study uh, meditation in a didactic way. So, uh, a practice that we give for developing uh, excuse me, imaginative knowledge to develop that type of a logic coherence and moral equilibrium is sit to meditate on a, on a plant such as an aloe where you sit, concentrate on the plant even go online and study some of the structures of what makes up the internal physiology of a plant so having that logical scientific explanation of the parts of a plant so that you can visualize precisely what is inside of it and then sit down, imagine it Concentrate on the plant and imagine its birth, its life, and its death. Imagine the, the prana flowing in its cells, the cellulose and the glucose, the different cells, the membranes, the structures and the light that these particles emit, and really make those images vivid inside. So it's by being logical in this way and scientific in how we approach our imagination, we uh, can learn to go out of our body and talk to the soul of the plant which appears the elemental of the plant. And so also that helps to develop strength in our imagination. So if we tend to like experience when we go to bed at night or when we meditate, it's good to sit and do an imagination practice. You can do the mantra inri to uh, invoke those energies. And then likewise to uh, uh, imagine a plant so that you can communicate with that elemental and so that it can help you, but also to give strength and, and uh, flexibility to our perception. So we've chosen this image in relation to inspired knowledge, a uh, door of a mosque, because this is really the doorway that leads to intuition. So inspired knowledge, as we were explaining, is when we experience the symbol of a... Of a internal type in our, in our clairvoyance, in our imagination. 
And likewise, we seek to understand its meaning. What's important to understand is that inspiration, as Samael explains, pertains to the interdependence of all phenomena. Any experience we have in the eternal worlds is given to us in relation to how we live our daily life. People think that usually an astral experience is something very fantastic or is something that has nothing to do with our physical existence. Or usually we think that these, these type of experiences that are divine really transcend our daily life. But really, any master in the internal planes in, your, in our being will always give us experiences Just tell us how to live physically. Because this physical plane is part of the internal planes. And we need to become aware of all dimensions of life. So nothing is separate. Internal experiences pertain to how we have to work here and now. And uh, inspiration is uh, understanding the interdependence of all phenomena. Because nothing is isolated in terms of our perception of life. We become inspired such as as we develop our imagination and we begin to understand the thoughts of people and to really understand how other people function and how to develop that art of uh, when we communicate with loved ones or friends or family, how to speak, what to say, when to say it, and to uh, understand and be inspired in a way that to know how to help our fellow man and woman to benefit. So inspired knowledge grants us the power of interpreting the symbols of great nature. And the rest of this quote explains the necessity of under- interpreting without ego. And this is really the great problem with many spiritual movements, including the Gnostic movement, where uh, many people have had experiences and then have interpreted it through the ego, through the eye, and made mistakes. And, uh, not, and also people who, do, who have clairvoyant experiences but don't study the doctrine very thoroughly make many assumptions and intellectual assumptions about who they are or saying, I am the reincarnation of John the Baptist or Samael and Vior even. There's a man in Latin America who says he's Samael and Vior again. And this individual, obviously you look at his life and he's doing a lot of drugs. So knowing the scriptures and knowing the teaching helps us to differentiate our experiences. So when the eye interferes by translating and interpreting symbols, that it alters the meaning of this secret scripture and the clairvoyant falls into a crime that can conduct him to jail. I knew one Gnostic who uh, had the experience that his family was black, were black magicians, not understanding that he was perceiving the egos of that person and started to accuse them in an open manner and... and Sadly, this individual uh, caused a lot of chaos and harm because he didn't understand that what he was experiencing was the internal psyche of those individuals. It wasn't that those persons were in this life practicing witchcraft. So when the I, the ego, interprets experiences of that nature, really we have to be careful of this tendency. We have to really be judicious and scientific. We have an experience about a person, a place, or an event. We have to understand it in a very... uh, comprehensive manner in a cold manner like we're a doctor dissecting a, a corpse meaning we have a procedure we have we're methodical we don't jump to conclusions but we take the time to really test the experience to see whether or not it's true 
Because if it has nothing to do with physical facts, we have to discard what we experience. For example, we get many students on our forum who write wanting to have an instructor tell them their experience as if anyone on a forum could really tell clairvoyantly what this individual is experiencing. But some students, they say, you know, I was, and just as a, as a, almost as a joke, we have students saying, I had an experience where a, like a monkey flew over with, a, with a, riding a bicycle or very things that are very strange that obviously uh, have no objective validity, but usually we have the dreams of an incoherent type that we need to also analyze because they reflect our psychological states. But we have to have, have the judiciousness of not being, uh, not accepting things at face value. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is really the path of inspired knowledge. There's a Sufi teaching that says, even if you are walking in a garden and all the birds of, that, of the trees greet you in, in chorus, hail to you, friend of God. If, if that individual, if we are not questioning that experience, even if it's of a beneficent type, if, it's a, if it feels good to us and really close to us, it feels well, then something's wrong. We need to, even with experiences that we feel really come from our being, we have to really judge and analyze and have the patience to let the experience unfold over many years. Personally, I've had experiences that I had years ago that I haven't been able to interpret until one day when I'm such as in my garden or not necessarily thinking of anything, but suddenly the insight comes about what that experience was talking about. Or I'm reading a book by the Master Samael that verifies what I read, what I experienced. And uh, we have to have the patience to understand that understanding of these, this type, intuition of our experience may come many years later. So imagination, inspiration, intuition are not three grades that we successfully cross over, finish imaginative knowledge and we move on to inspiration. Then likewise to intuition. It's dynamic. We can have a, a perception of an experience, be inspired by its symbolism and immediately know its meaning in the instant. Sometimes we may have a, 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 perceive a symbol, we, we're inspired by that symbol, but we don't really know its meaning until years later. And, but most of the time we, we don't perceive anything at all. So it means that we need to develop imagination. But when we have those experiences, we need to really be judicious, as I was explaining. Because interpretation must be tremendously analytical, highly scientific, and essentially mystical. There is a need to learn how to see and how to interpret in the absence of the I of the myself. And so, in the example I gave, you know, of, you know receiving inquiries about students' dreams, we typically don't... Um, answer those type of questions. We want students to really become self-reliant and to interpret their experiences on their own. And in terms of uh, understanding whether or not an experience is valid, we have to really connect it to our life, our daily life, our physical concrete facts. If the experience of a, of a monkey on a tricycle doesn't pertain to anything in our physical life, then we probably have to discard it. But if the experience is symbolic and the symbolism pertains to scripture, it pertains to a certain meaning we're very knowledgeable about, and it's related to a situation in our life that is very concrete, then we can be very sure that it's, 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 uh, 
definitive and that it's real. Personally, I had an experience in my last job where certain people were trying to take advantage of me. And I had the experience in the astral plane where I was in my garage and I had people come, I was having a garage sale and people were coming in and taking my things without asking me and paying me less than what I charge for a price. And this perfectly expressed the, my relationship to certain people at this last job that I had. And I was reflecting on this, you know, how do these, what does it mean? And I was thinking about this event in my life that was occurring at the time. And uh, I realized that it was very definitive and concrete because the symbolism was exactly the psychological flavor and the meaning that I was going through in that time. So the experience has to coincide with physical facts. For as the Sufis emphasize in Al-Risala, the principles of Sufism by Kushari, the divine law commands one to the duty of servanthood, meaning the scriptures, the, the books, the lectures, the teachings. The way, the inner reality, is the contemplation of divine lordship. Outward religious practice not confirmed by inner reality is not acceptable. Inner reality not anchored by outward religious practice is not acceptable. Divine law brings obligation upon the creation, while the way is founded upon the free action or experience of the real. The divine law is that you serve him, the way is that you see him. Know that religious obligation is a spiritual reality and that it was made necessary by his command. And spiritual reality or experience as well is a religious obligation and that the realizations of him were also made necessary by his command. So the experience has to coincide with the facts from our practices. Practice and experience, knowledge and being have to be united in order to really illuminate our understanding about how to live in concordance with our divinity. And the Master Samael explains in different books that there are four types of uh, uh, laws that we need to study in terms of interpretation. We have the law of uh, philosophical analogies, the law of analogous contraries, the law of correspondences, and the law of numerology. So this is how we interpret internal experience. Sometimes a symbol, has, like an example I gave you, is, is a philosophical because it's analogous to the experience I was going through in my, my, in my current life. People trying to manipulate me, paying me less than what they owed me. And, and it was represented by those being paid with pennies and, and uh, insufficient money. Analogous contrary is, is, is uh, opposite. Sometimes we have an experience about someone or a person, place, or thing that is opposite to what's going on, but really conveys a, the contrary of what's going on internally. So for instance, I had the experience when I invoked uh, Samael and Vayor about being humiliated. And he says in his books, in order to be exalted, one must be humiliated first. And in this experience, I was pushed to my knees and it was very graphic where I was being uh, defecated upon by a, a critic, someone who was angry against me and, and people were laughing at me. And I was reflecting on the experience and what happened later in that period of time and things were going very well for me. And so that was an analogous contrary. I was inspired by the fact that uh, you know, if you have that experience like that, it means that the opposite is going to happen. It means you're going to have good things coming your way. Because when people criticize you and, and condemn you, that's better work for us. 
And in that way, that was helping me to die in certain egos that I needed to work on. And so being humiliated first is how we receive honor. There is no ascent without first descending. Or for instance, I had an experience with a friend who I stopped associating with where in the dream we were talking and laughing. And at that moment, within a short moment of time, my friendship with that person broke. So it was contrary to what I was experiencing in the astral plane, but it was emphasizing that this re- the fact that we were laughing was superficial. It means we were going to break and not associate. That's an example of a contrary. And then correspondences in numerology pertain to symbols like the cross or the moon and different Kabbalistic symbols and also the study of the Tarot. So that all pertains to inspired knowledge, which has to do with uh, the nature of disclosure as the Sufis teach. So again, unveiling is, uh, or disclosure, is when we perceive the experience or the symbol of a teaching in the, in the meditation or internally. And so basically, we uh, are becoming disclosed to what we need to work on. So inspira- inspirational, inspired knowledge is like seeing the door. We know what we have to meditate on when we have the experience and what to focus on. So after this comes disclosure, unveiling, mukashafa, which is presence which has the quality of proof itself. So why is it the presence which has the quality of proof itself? Because we have the evidence that we know what we've been seeking. We get a teaching and then we know that this is the proof that we have to study. And so in the book of Daniel it says, uh, or in the Bible it says, a dream not interpreted is like a letter unread. So receiving that symbol is like a letter. We have to analyze it to study it. This is the quality of proof itself. In the condition, the heart has no need of pondering indications or searching for the road, nor seeking protection from occasions of uncertainty, and is not screened from the nature of the unseen. So uh, we don't have to look anywhere else. We have an image in, ex- in, in our experience. We need to focus our attention on that. and Let that be the focus of our meditation and investigations. So what does it mean to be inspired? It also means to inspire, to inhale the prana. And if we want to develop inspiration in the heart, we have to be chaste. We have to develop that, uh, assimilating the prana in our, in our daily practices through awe of duty. And in this image we have the creation of Adam, the spiritual man made into the image of the psychological and spiritual image of divinity. So, this teaching is given by Al-Nuri, which is interesting. We explained this quote previously, but here we're elaborating from Hassan Al-Nuri, which means beauty of the light. In Arabic, Hassan means beauty, and Nuri is again light. So the Supi master is embodying this teaching. So if someone's share of this light is more perfect, his vision is wiser and his judgment based on his insight is more truer. So again, if we want to develop insight, work with inspiration to inspire. Go out in nature. Go out to the lake. Travel places where you can be inspired by the forces of the cosmos and the nature, uh, by space and the prana. So that's how we aspire. We inspire the prana and we aspire, we raise those atoms of the sexual power to our brain. That's to aspire. And that is how we develop our heart. And that's how we develop insight. 
So do you not see how the breathing of the Spirit into Adam made it necessary for the angels to prostrate before him? For the Most High said, I formed him and I breathed into him of my spirit. So fall down before him in prostration. This is from the Quran. So the real man is made from daily transmutation, alchemical work, daily practice, daily practice and uh, mantra, pranayama. The breathing of the spirit is the work with uh, transmutation. And uh, we see that uh, it's important to maintain this practice. And so uh, I want to emphasize what Al-Nuri explains. In this mention of the breathing of the Spirit, Al-Nuri was uh, aiming to correct those who say that souls are uncreated. So this man that we need to create inside, the human being we need to create inside, is not there yet. The real human being is born in us when we develop insight, imaginative and inspirational knowledge. The situation is not as it might occur to the hearts of the weak, meaning those who don't meditate, who don't have a strong enough will. And all of us are like that. We need to uh, develop strength by dying in the ego. That's how we become, develop the beauty of the light. That to which this breathing and union and separation are properly attributed is liable to influence and alteration, which are signs of the transitoriness of created things. Yet God, glorious and exalted, has chosen the believers meaning those who transmute, who believe, who be through the power of love, of alchemy, for perceptions and lights through which they come to possess insight. So these, are, these are internal experiences. That's how we believe. That's how we have certainty. In essence, these are the forms of the knowledge of God. Imagination, inspiration, intuition. This is the import of the prophet's saying, the believer sees by the light of God. That is, by knowledge and inner vision for which God Most High has specially chosen him and by means of which he has distinguished him from others like him. To call these kinds of knowledge and perceptions lights is not an innovation. And to describe that process as breathing, pranayama, transmutation, is not reaching far afield. What is intended is one's created nature. So we're, we, as Jesus taught, with patience possess ye your soul. We don't yet possess soul yet. And how we develop that is through initiation and through developing uh, insight, inspiration. So to emphasize this point about the, how to develop inspired knowledge, I'd like to quote for you again from the book Revelation of the Mystery in which we have a beautiful teaching, a prayer given by a Sufi master by the name of Sari about uh, the nature of inspired knowledge. And how uh, transmutation is integral to this teaching. O God, whatever punishment thou mayest afflict upon me, do not punish me with the humiliation of being veiled from thee. Because if I am not veiled from thee, my torment and affliction will be lightened by the remembrance and contemplation of thee. So again, veiling is uh, to lack inspiration. And all of us are like this. We need, we need to be more inspired to really work more diligently, to be veiled is to not have inspiration. To, be, to possess unveiling is to receive those experiences. But if I am veiled from thee, even thy bounty will be deadly to me. There is no punishment in hell more painful and hard to bear than that of being, that of being veiled. 
If God were revealed in hell to the people of hell, sinful believers would never think of paradise, since the sight of God would have so filled them with joy that they would not feel bodily pain. And in paradise there is no pleasure more perfect than unveilness, kashf or mukashafa, inspiration. If the people there enjoyed all the pleasure of that place and other pleasures a hundredfold, but were veiled from God, their hearts would be utterly broken. Therefore, it is the custom of God to let the hearts of those who love him have vision of him always. So do we have vision of him always? That's the thing. We need to develop continuous awareness, experience of him. So to let, there's therefore is the custom of God to let the hearts of those who love him have vision of him always, in order that the delight thereof may enable them to endure every tribulation. And they say in their orisons, we deem all torments more desirable than to be veiled from thee. When thy beauty is revealed to our hearts, we take no thought of affliction. Because when we have that experience, the message from our, our Lord, then we feel comforted. We don't have that, uh, we're not necessarily afflicted by uncertainty. Because we know precisely what action we need to take to change. So if you want to develop inspiration, you can... Uh, sit and listen to a piece of classical music, such as by Mozart, the magic flute, which reminds us of an Egyptian initiation, such as in the overture, the three crescendos. Dun, 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 dun. Referring to the three pyramids of Giza, the three uh, uh, pyramids specifically. Or sit, concentrate, and, and visualize or, and really reflect on the inspiration we feel by listening to Beethoven, the Ninth Symphonies, or Wagner. That's how we develop uh, inspirational knowledge. Lastly, the world of intuition pertains to the, the cosmos and the world of mathematics, Kabbalah. In this image we have a group of Sufis, uh, 12 in number, prostrating before Allah. So those of us who know Kabbalah, we know that there are really 12 emanations, we can say, or 12 aeons, followed by the 13th. Constellations. Really the constellations as well. And here we see that uh, Allah is, in Kabbalah, Ayn, Lord, or the, the highest divinity the absolute and the Sufis are in meditation prostrating so that refers to a fully illuminated master all the aeons or spheres of consciousness the tree of life and the absolute fully realized but that's the world of intuition the world of intuition is the world of mathematics the student that wants to elevate himself to the world of intuition must be a mathematician or at least must have notions of arithmetic because mathematics Kabbalah the science of uh, the tree of life, the Arabic, uh, or the, better said, the Hebrew letters, the tarot, teaches uh, the nature of numerology in the astral plane, in the internal worlds, which have symbolic meanings. So if you have an experience of certain numbers, such as through the tarot, I suggest you study tarot Kabbalah, because there the Master Samael explains the, the meaning of the different cards and the numbers how they, as they relate to uh, the teaching and our daily life. And so we see that uh, in the world of intuition, we find only omniscience. The world of intuition is the world of the being. It is the world of the intimate. 
In this world, the I, the myself, the ego cannot enter. The world of intuition is the universal spirit of life. With uh, the study of numerology, we're understanding the dynamics of our consciousness. For example, we have an experience of the number seven, relating to seven, means that we need, we need to go to war. There's the chariot. Seven relating to uh, the, the innermost, who drives the lower bodies of the soul. And the Hebrew letter is Zayin, which is the sword of justice to fight the ego. Or we have the experience of uh, 12, the apostolate, who sacri- the hanged man who sacrifices himself for humanity, work with alchemy. Or the Psalm 12, the repentance of Sophia. These numbers, again, teach us the nature of our being. Because the being is one. The Divine Mother is two. Creation is three. And these numbers pertain to laws that exist inside and outside. So that's why we study Kabbalah, to understand the world of mathematics and the eternal planes. And so, uh, the Sufis elaborate what Samael and Vyar explains in, in relation to this image. Then comes contemplation, which is the presence of the real without any remaining doubt. Meaning there's no ego. One cannot doubt in that plane of being. One knows. Suddenly the sky of one's inner being becomes clear of the clouds of the veil. And the sun of vision rises in the sign of honor, as we see in this image. The truth of contemplation is as Junaid said. Finding the real comes with losing yourself. Meaning losing your ego. There's no obstruction there. Contemplation is mushahida, witnessing, which is intuition. So we, we quoted the Sufis to really show us that uh, what Samael and Beer taught is present in, in this religion, this teaching. But we compare the two to really emphasize uh, the universal nature of this teaching. So what is real contemplation? as we're explaining, intuition. We have the following explanation from Hujwadi, from Revelation of the Mystery. It is related that Abu Sa'id Fadala ibn Muhammad al-Mahani said, Sufism is the subsistence of the heart with God without any mediation. This alludes to contemplation, which is violence of love. For as the scriptures teach us, only the violent take heaven by force an absorption of human qualities and realizing the vision of God and their annihilation by the everlastingness of God. Meaning the soul is annihilated. There's only the being. There is no self. There's only the being. And to experience that is really breaks any clouds of disillusion we may have about who we are and gives us real faith and really who is the eternal inside of us in order to help us navigate our daily life. So to develop intuitive knowledge, we need to, we can meditate on a mathematical formula. Such as a Kepler, the square of the period of revolution of a planet varies directly as the distance from the sun cubed. This is astronomy. Or Newton's universal theory of gravity. The force between two objects varies directly with each of the masses and inversely with the square of the distance between them. We can sit down, concentrate on a formula, and meditate on it to understand its law. And when we have emptied our mind of thoughts, the being can give us insight into the nature of that law. 
how it applies to us. Likewise, we can meditate on the Pythagorean theorem, such as the square of the hypotenuse, which is the side of the opposite of the right angle, is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides. Or you meditate, 2 plus 2 is 4. And we, we do this, yeah, we know what it means, but Kabbalistically, do you understand what it means? How um, the father and mother within two individuals unites to create the Tetragrammaton, the holy four-letter name of God, meaning man and woman united. The number one, number two, are the, the, the two polarities, the father and mother inside a man and a woman united, create the holy Tetragrammaton. But to meditate and understand what that means, mathematical formulas can give us that really a profound insight into reality. So my emphasis in this lecture is to 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 emphasize the nature, the need to uh, meditate, and to understand what these stages of uh, initiation entail, so that we can really strengthen our practice and understand our experiences. Do you have any questions or comments? And the, the Tarot, as uh, taught in the internal planes especially, those images are, as Manly P. Hall taught, a sufficient teaching into itself. Those who, he said that those who learn how to meditate on the genuine Tarot, as given in the, in the astral plane, can, uh, will know, be eloquent in every science, art, and mysticism in the universe. Because those 22 cards, the 22 laws... Of the, of the tarot, the Torah, the law, is uh, in the major arcana, as well as the minor, the, the minor cards, teach us about the, the need to, you know, the different laws that pertain to the world of intuition. So it also helps to develop our imagination. We sit to visualize a card. Exactly. And I recommend, we have a deck that's going to be published soon, which is being used, uh, which personally I've, we've, we've used in the internal planes. And the images that we are presenting or given from uh, Tarot and Kabbalah and the book Alchemy and Kabbalah by Samuel and Vior in which he uh, unveiled the, the Tarot. I know there are other decks which uh, bear resemblances to what we teach and uh, uh, I invite you to really expand your study of the Tarot through, through this deck especially. 
because yes, the high pri- we, say, we say that too, the high priestess, there's many similarities in decks, but in terms of the, the practical techniques to develop intuition, uh, imagination, inspiration, were either given incipiently or in, uh, were not given at all. And the tarot we commonly find uh, today have been uh, not part of that unveiling. That, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, when we know a Kabbalah, especially when we know how to go out of our body and to investigate the tarot using the internal planes, then we can see you know, what, what's, what's real and what isn't. And so uh, we, uh, the tarot we teach, we really we emphasize, this lecture was based off of the book Tarot and Kabbalah. And to study that text diligently, it can help us to uh, unveil the meanings of uh, the tarot cards. Um, but those images can help us to develop imagination and inspiration and intuition. Yes. So we have a new edition that we just published of a Tarot and Kabbalah containing the new images. So, uh, Do we have that? I mean, I bought the book. Would you... we, uh, those images, are, the, those images are, are, are good. They're similar. Uh, we just made a couple corrections to certain things that uh, there were some discrepancies between uh, the teachings given by Paracelsus, some of the images that were used in his writings that were applied to the Tarot deck. Uh, it, the, the previous decks in a mistaken way so we fixed those and other elements of the cards through some actually a lot of research but uh, we will have those cards available so when you have those cards then learn to meditate on those, those the tarot the different laws and study the book in terms of what the laws teach about those numbers and when you go out of your body and become skilled at astral travel when you invoke some island of your and or any master they'll teach you through those numbers and the, the, the laws that I've been learning in the astral plane have always come from that deck we've been using. And when I was in Egypt, in the astral plane, the Egyptian woman master gave me a card reading and exactly the images that I see in the books we use. With some differences, there's, there are things that they showed in the internal planes that are more intimate and personal to myself. And they had this, that's how they, those laws work. They apply to your practical life. So... The tarot pertains to how to live spiritually. That's why we study those deck, uh, the deck in depth. Any other questions or comments? In, um, in the Buddhist tradition, how does meditation, intuition, inspiration um, work naturally? So in Buddhism, uh, really the Buddha nature is called Buddha Dhatu which comes from the Sanskrit, uh, the root word bud, which means cognizance. So intrinsic awareness or cognizance is imagination to perceive. And if you ever read the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it's a very, very extensive introduction to that teaching uh, given by Padmasambhava, which explains uh, the introduction to awareness. And uh, as for inspiration and intuition, I mean, the, the experience of the Buddha body of reality which is Keter, it's the intuition, you could say. But there's many applications in Buddhism as well. But uh, the world of becoming pertains to uh, the, the being, Keter, we could say, and the highest aspect.
And uh, as for inspiration, uh, I'd have to look. I'd have to study more to see that tradition more in depth. But Buddhism talks a lot about really profound prayer and the study of scripture. So that's integral to their teaching in their scriptures uh, in terms of you know the need to really Tibetan Buddhists especially. Many of them get up at three in the morning. They do a, a recitation or reading of a scripture to be inspired, and they practice. They do visualization exercises, and they learn to uh, study the scriptures in order to interpret experiences. So it's in all religions. Just uh, I was, today, I was focusing on Islam because that's something most people don't know about. But in Buddhism, it's it's present. Uh, but as for explicit teachings, like I gave on Sufism, I'd have to look more into Buddhism. The, the sound of the, the there's a there's a sound emitted from the cells of our brain that is exact frequency as a cricket. So when you uh, sit to meditate while focusing on the sound of the cricket, you're basically forcing a, a vibration of that the sound of that insect in, in the brain to stimulate that frequency that energy so that you awaken in the astral plane. And uh, that's why the cricket was once sold in golden cages in Rome, and uh, was a considered. Very, uh, in, in, even in the Aztecs in Mexico, have a temple. The temple of Chapultepec is related to the cricket. I saw that in the book. He has the, the, the cricket on top of the, like, what was like a, a, an Aztec pyramid. Was, at the top, it wasn't pointed. You know? And there's, there's the, he really described it there in, in, in kind of detail. Also, I recall, I probably mentioned to you once before in Europe, at least anyway in southern Italy, they say, don't ever kill a cricket. There it was like a tradition of good luck. And the and in terms of uh, Pinocchio, Pinocchio was trying to kill Jiminy Cricket at one point. His conscience, so that same animal relates to, or the insect relates to Jiminy Cricket as our conscience on our shoulder that tells our mind, "Don't don't do that. Do this. Do that." And in the story, in the original story, uh, Pinocchio takes a hammer and tries to kill the insect because that's what we do on a daily basis. We kill our conscience when we act with anger or a negative emotion. And so, uh, likewise, when you sit to meditate on the sound of a cricket, um, the same frequency that's emitted by the brain is the same as that insect. I mean, I've had the experience where tr- many times transitioning into the astral plane where there's a vibration like electricity in the brain and you get out of your body that way by focusing on that vibration. That's the energies of the astral body preparing the separation of the ego from, from the physical body into the internal planes. So that sound can help you to, to access in a state of relaxation, but that state. So uh, it's good to have a cricket. 
The thing is, though, if you do, if you live, if you live in a townhouse, so it's, you know, as I say, there's people around, and, you know, in the wee hours of the morning, I mean, how loud can that cricket, I mean, could it, could it raise vibrations to the point to where it just, just don't put it in on a speaker. But uh, the sound is uh, the sound is good for. Um, it's quiet, you know. So long as you're in a small space, you're not going to disturb anybody. Because they do sell them. But, um, Viparita Karani Mudra. So, in terms of developing imagination, inspiration, intuition, the sacred rites are good for developing inspiration. And if we're very uh, cognizant about what we do when we do those rites, we can really invoke our, our, the third logos inside to give us that force that we need to awaken the chakras, our clairvoyance, our imagination, but also inspiration. Yes. And also intuition is, is in the heart too, in the mind as well. Intuition is knowing the, an experience. Inspiration is sensing in, in our heart that the experience is coming from our divinity. And then imagination is the capacity to perceive that. And so we can have that even being physically awake. I mean, I've had at different times teaching, the, such as being at retreats when we were very intensively doing exercises. We're leading the sacred rites. We're feeling, really feeling the being present and helping with that. And, you know, that's, that helps to develop those, those three stages of knowledge too. All the exercises do that, but the best is meditation. Now, sacred rites is, is a moving form of meditation, like the runes. But, uh, but the, the, better, the best way we can develop insight is when we don't have external distractions. But if we become very skilled at paying attention and maintaining vigilance, then uh, we can meditate even while moving or walking down the street or when we do the sacred rites. And so I give testimony of that. You know, we can, if we're very, very awake and uh, 
if the being grants, grants us that state, we can use the sacred, we can really practice the sacred rites in a very uh, in a powerful manner, more, more powerful than, if we do it mechanically, we don't get benefit, but you know, when we're praying, yeah. we're inspired. Yeah. When we're focused, we, and when we're aware of the energies we perceive, and then when we are really awake, we intuitively know our, the presence of our being. And then it's no longer, it's no longer us acting, but it is our innermost. If we're very, if, we're, if we get our mind out of the way. Well, he mentions over and over again in that exercise, as I recall, just what you said. While you're doing things, these things are primary, and as you said, you can't do them just mechanically. But he mentions constantly invoking the Divine Mother. You know, open your chakra, right. open your heart chakra, and and like Moria, Master Moria taught, when we pray, we should, do, we, we should, try, we should really pray out loud if we can. Because that strength we get from vocalizing, which is why when we meditate, we, we do a lot of vocal prayer. They give us, invoke our being and give us force. And that helps to raise our vibration even physically. The speech the verb creates. We get inspired by speaking conscious words. And likewise... Uh, that's what opens the doors to the internal planes. Opens the chakras, the organs. So I thank you for, uh, for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at chicagonosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.